I don't know why. I guess I should be more upbeat. The Knicks just kind of played a good, hard game against a good team on the road. But it was it was like an ugly effort. That's what I'm taking away from this game. It was just ugly. And I feel bad that the person that I have on to talk about this ugly effort is definitely not ugly. He's a, he's a handsome young man. Uh, a, a lad, if you will. Um, Jeremy Cohen, you, you have a girlfriend, right? I do. And she probably thinks you're you're a handsome young lad, right? Uh, not when she takes the bag off my head. <laughs> Is that your, you always have one or two lines that catch me completely by surprise? <laughs> and uh, I guess that's that's the one for tonight. Maybe we'll have another. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Jeremy Cohen, how you doing? All right. You know, I, I wasn't expecting a win tonight. No. So... I mean, who would expect a win? But. Yeah, at this point it was pretty much just all right. Let's uh, let's not let this really good defensive team take advantage of us. And if you only watch the first half, then they totally didn't. And if you watch the second half, they totally ripped us. Into <laughs> and and we should point out that. So we're going to get into the zone defense in a bit. Um, but the Knicks, uh, this could have been worse probably because the Pacers missed. Uh, Several. I don't. Know, I don't know how many open shots, but a few. Um, what were your general takeaways from uh, a one ten ninety nine loss to the uh, third in the East, Indiana Pacers? Well, I, I was really impressed with how the Knicks were able to hold Indiana to fifty six points uh, through one, and even then, if you think about it, in the second quarter, they held them to fifty four. So, uh, and yeah, one hundred ten. Then when you look at it like that, it's pretty surprising, but. It was really a tale of two halves. Like when you when you look at it as a whole game, the Knicks were abysmal shooting wise. But again, like in the first half, you feel like all right, there's some whole last five games they've they've won their second halves in each and every one of them. So maybe there's something going here. But uh, no, Indiana's just too damn good. Yeah, and we should we should add some perspective to that because actually, you know, the Pacers scored 56 in the first half. Um, uh, what do you call it, 54 in the second half. But I think the important point is that in the second half, as you alluded to, it seemed like the Pacers were getting whatever they wanted when they wanted it. Um, and two, I think the first half came as such so much more impressive because we've seen if there's been one theme to this next season, it's it's been to give up you know the the world and then some in the first half and then they buckled down in the second half and tonight it felt like even though the maybe the points didn't reflect it it was kind of the opposite um i thought just the Knicks offense tonight was like it was ugly and is i mean how much are you putting on them and how much are you putting on the on the pacers for that i'm giving credit where it's due i think the pacers did a phenomenal job defensively i mean they as I believe Mike or Clyde was saying in the beginning, that they're in the top two of points allowed per game and a yeah, they're up, second um, in second in defensive rating. Yeah, and they have an incredible opponent field goal percentage, so they're really good. And it's it's funny because you wouldn't necessarily think that uh, Bogdanovich or Carlson, uh, with them being there, that the team around them can do a great job, or even Sabonis, who is not 
uh, or McDermott, as we saw last year. But they are coached really well by Nate McMillan, and they just they come together really nicely. And I would not want to face them in the first round of the playoffs if I'm some team in the East. I I might be the most scared of them that's not named the Toronto Raptors. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Um, I think I, I was actually writing about the Pacers-Cavs series for a, a blog uh, during last season playoffs, and the Pacers were the better team. They they should have beat the Cavs in the first round last year. This is a good team. They've added depth to it, um, even though uh, Tyreek Evans didn't play tonight. He's there, too. Um, Kyle O'Quinn obviously can't get off the bench. I think that's that's telling as, as far as just how deep they are. Um, so the three points that I want to kind of get into here um, for at least, you know, I think in terms of this game and then if we're thinking about big picture are the zone defense, which apparently is a thing now that might be here to stay, um, Moutier, and then, of course, Trey Burke returned, and we saw him share the court with with Frank. So of those three topics, which would you like to start off with? Let's start off with the shooting, or excuse me, with uh, the zone. With the zone defense, okay. So my impression zone, is... final answer. Yes. <laughs> you sure you don't want to phone a friend? Um, so <laughs> my, my impression of the zone defense is that, sure, why not? Um, it, it, nothing, nothing can be worse than, than some of the performances that we've seen in particular from the starting five. Um, but is this like a thing that is a sustainable, like we should continue working on this and make it part of our identity thing? Or is it just like, let's give it a shot every now and then? Yeah, it's definitely the latter in my opinion, because it it was great to change things up and it caught charlotte off guard but the reason why i said let's start with the shooting was because uh, what i had in the brain was was the pacers tonight took 34 threes and for what it's worth they averaged 25 a night which would uh rank them as 29th in the league and they shot 35 percent and they are the fourth best team from three-point percentage so the zone gave up so many three-point opportunities and even though the Pacers shot, I mean, 35% still very good, good enough, uh, that certainly didn't help the Knicks in their attempts for a comeback because they were beating them from the inside against Canada and they were beating them from the outside. So I, I'm not a huge fan of the zone long term. I think in spurts it could work, but it, it shouldn't be this, uh, this long-term play, if you will. What do you think? Um, I'm with you. I, I think – if you're trying to make a desperate comeback attempt, and that's exactly what Friday was, it was a desperate comeback attempt that, hey, it actually worked, and, and the zone was was part of that. I look at it tonight as a way to try to cover up for the deficiencies of one Inez Cantor on defense. Um, and I don't think it worked that well. Um, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but to me, in their... Like, so much of so many of the issues that they have with their starting lineup on defense, I think, can be traced back to just Cantor's ability to, um, you know, do a lot of things that you need to be able to do as a big man defensively today. And I, you know, maybe it worked a little bit, but again, I, I that's that's what my initial thought was. Am I crazy for thinking that? No, not at all. And I think that's a huge reason why 
the Knicks are really going to miss Mitchell Robinson while he's out. Yes. Because Luke Cornett is as great as he is in that Clarence Gaines called him a KP light, and that's totally what he is. But we've seen what Mitchell Robinson can do to anchor a defense at 20 years old. Putting Canner in there for 36 minutes tonight, that's just not, not going to get the job done against a team that can beat you in a number of ways. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And um, my God, I, I mean, I know our our defense is not good at all, but watching Sabonis against the Knicks, it's amazing to me that this guy doesn't average 30 points a game. Um, he is he is unbelievable. Um, yeah, so hopefully the, the zone defense kind of goes by the wayside and maybe, I don't know, maybe this is a precursor to, all right, you know, we can't survive defensively with the current starting lineup in a regular alignment. We can't survive defensively with the current starting lineup in a zone. Maybe there's another change coming. Um, I don't know. I, I still think if I had to bet on it, I would bet on a canter buyout at some point this season. But again, that's just obviously me speculating or maybe me being hopeful. Um, okay, so let's talk about Moutier. Um, what did you think of him tonight? And I guess more generally, what what have you thought of him lately? You can't complain lately. I mean, you, you can, of course. There are certainly flaws to pick out, specifically on one side of the ball versus the other. Yes. But, <laughs> but it's at the point where I enjoy seeing the offense flowing through him. I completely and- agree with that. And he's developing. That's that's really what it is. It's at a rate that we maybe would not have even dreamed of. I and mean, to for him to score 18 points on five of 11 shooting, <laughs> would have laughed at you last year. And that's <sighs> testament to how hard he's worked and what he's able to do. And he's completely earned that starting spot. Defensively, yeah, he's definitely a work in progress. But then again, when you're playing alongside Tim Hardaway Jr., Kevin Knox, and Ennis Canner, how much is that? solely focused on you and it's more just a collective team effort of oh my god what are we doing we only have Noah Vonley in there to stop the bleeding and he can only do so much yeah I mean so here's where I come down on Moutier and and people are getting very excited about him and asking about how can we keep him long term here's the thing in the NBA today you can survive with a point guard playing you know I'm, I'm putting aside the issue of whether he starts or Frank starts going forward um, you could survive with a point guard who is bad on defense. Kemba Walker, Kyrie Irving, you know, even Steph Curry gets targeted in the playoffs. I mean, I'm sure there are another guy or two out there that I'm forgetting. Those guys, like, literally bend a defense by themselves, and they do so, at least in part, with their long-distance shooting. And Moutier, you know, he's hitting a third of his attempts on th- uh, on three shots from from long range a game, that is a far cry from what the Kemba's and the Stephs and the Kyrie's and like the other def- def- defensively deficient point guards do. And I don't see a universe in which he gets even close to that. And if he can't get close to that, I just don't know what his ceiling is on offense that would justify a defense, which I don't know that I see it getting much better. Does that did that all make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And it's so hard to tell, not in the sense of, oh, I think Moutier could become that great player, because really we don't know what his ceiling is because we all expect it to be incredibly low, and now it's starting to – he's gone through the roof and he's he's in the stratosphere. We don't know where that's going to end or yeah. it's going to come down. But again, it's like, okay, well, he is only 22 years old, so while I highly doubt he'll get to that level of – 
Kyrie, Steph, Kemba. Um, Kemba was a terrible player until he was about 25, well, and, 26. And, and specifically, he was a terrible shooter until yes. he was 25, 26. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, I personally don't think of, you know, long-term Kemba – or excuse me, long-term Moutier. It's, it's more just like, all right, let him play. Let him go out there. If a team wants to throw a first at the Knicks for some crazy reason – then yeah, like <laughs> that's go not for gonna, it. That's yeah, okay. that's not gonna happen. We won't stop you from that happening. But at this point, it's kind of just like you know what? Let him go out, show his stuff. When the summer hap rolls around, we'll figure it out from there. But for right now, I like seeing him develop. It's it's really nice to see that Fizz is able to turn um, turn you know trash into trash, Chick- uh, chicken shit into chicken salad. There you go. Um, yeah, no, two more just quick things on Moutier before we finish up with, with Frank and Burke. One, the only comp that I could think of um, for, like, the roughly the modern game is Tony Parker. Like, basically didn't shoot a three for, like, the middle five or ten years or whatever it was of his career. And, obviously, he's one of the one of the greatest maestros at the point guard position that the game has ever seen. Um you know, Moutier has some real tools that maybe he, he can, I mean, who knows if he could ever approach that. I don't think so. But that's like that's almost like the level that he would have to get to to, to make up for the lack of um, what, what I think will be below average three-point shooting. Um, and then, oh, yeah, in regards to this summer, like people are saying like, oh, if, if there's a possibility you let him, like you're going to let him walk in July, you have to try to get something for him. Well, no. If like the most anybody's offering you is like a top 50 protected second round pick, then just wait and, you know, maybe you need him to come back for next year on a one-year deal and like maintain some continuity at the point guard position. So I'm with you. Unless somebody gives you like a real honest-to-goodness offer for him, just – um you know, just keep him on the roster and see where it goes. Um, last, but certainly not least, uh, we had Frank tonight back from a sprained ankle, which I think may still have been affecting him a little bit. And we also had the return of Trey Burke. What was your initial impression uh, from seeing them on the court, which they almost exclusively were on the court together when they played? It seemed like Frank was able to handle the ball a little bit more than we've seen in the past when he's been paired with Burke. You still see the fact that Burke took... Seven attempts, Frank took four, both connected on one each. Um, one of those shots for Frank was a really nasty air ball. Yep. You know, I, if Fizz wants to try to make it work, he can try. I'm just not very confident that it's a pairing that can go forward because of the fact that Burke just simply does not have that versatility. And What do you, I, mean, I what do you mean when you problem. say that? He doesn't have that versatility to be more of an off – like – to be an actual point guard? To be anything really but that. Um, you know, because a huge factor for Frank is it's great because he can he can play point and it's a huge mismatch for smaller point guards. But on the other defensive end, you can do a lot of switching and, and you can be more versatile player. And with Trey, I, I'm concerned that old habits just die hard. And yep. even if he is able to become more of an off-ball player um, – He's, his size can't change. Yeah. And and if for some reason he just can't seem to get out of that, okay, I'm the point guard mode, um, that's tough because old habits die hard. And I don't blame him for, for having that mentality, especially if he grew up his whole life thinking I'm a point guard, I'm, a, I'm ball dominant, this is what I do. So, yeah, Fizz can try it, but I, I'm not 
super encouraged by what I've seen. Yeah, I mean, the question for most of the season has been, can Frank be useful? Can, can Frank be what we want Frank to be while sharing the court with Burke? And I think the most encouraging thing you probably could take away from tonight is he can be. Um, he didn't drive the lane, but I think I would put that more as a function of Indiana's like really good on-ball defense from their guards than anything like Frank was or was not doing. Um, would you agree with that, by the way? Yes. Yeah. There was one play where uh, it was for the assist to Vonley. Yes, early in the first half, yes. But a huge reason why that happens is because of a miscommunication with exactly. Sabonis and Collison. And so it's just like if you're going to catch Indiana napping, that's great, but yeah, but they don't, nap a don't lot. take it for granted. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, so I'm not – I'm not like for all intents and purposes, what I saw from Frank tonight, I was like, okay, Frank could still be the player that we want him to be sharing the floor with Burke. And I, but I think the bigger issue, as you just stated is can, can Burke like, can Burke be anything other than what he is? And I don't, I don't like, if you are going to have Burke on your team to me at this point, we know what his purpose is. His purpose is going to be, if your offense is stagnant and you want a guy to come in and essentially dominate the offense for a couple minutes and try to get you back in a game, um, that's or if you're just going to hand the offense over to him on a regular basis for you know five minutes each half or six minutes each half, he just I don't we have not seen him function as a as a useful conduit in a in an offense that moves the way. I think we all would like the Knicks offense to operate, you know? Yeah, I would completely agree. Yeah. Um, and just for, I, I said this on the Periscope, I tweeted it out, but in terms of the possessions, like when Frank and Burke were on the court, there was obviously the shot disparity, seven to four, but for all intents and purposes, when they shared the floor together, they held, they got the ball about the same amount of time. So I don't, I don't think that was, you know, um, as much the issue. It's more of, you know, the effectiveness, um, when when they did, and um, I think this this just goes to show why plus minus shouldn't be uh, this golden stat because Frank was minus eleven and Burke was minus two and if you watch the game you wouldn't say to yourself like all right well clearly yeah Burke that's crazy was so much better or that Frank was that much worse they both didn't play very well but. There's just there's a huge disparity in that that feels very wrong. Well, that that difference could be attributed to very simply there was a like a one or two minute stretch where it was after Frank came in in the first half and before Burke came in in the first half where the Pacers went on like a quick run that if you actually watched I I I remember it very clearly like Frank had nothing to do with that with that run Um, like that's I guarantee you five or seven points of that of that disparity right there so yeah I. Game to game plus minus is largely useless, but people are still going to point to it. Um, is what it is. All right, we are at the twenty minute mark. I, I said I wanted to keep this one short because this game was ugly. Anything left uh, that we want to say before we go? Uh, yeah, the Suns are a really weird team right now, and I would not be surprised after winning two two games in a row if they uh, they jumped at the Knicks on the second night of a back to back. Knicks historically don't play great on the second night of back to back. Actually, I don't know if that's – maybe I'm thinking of the Nets who then went on to beat the Knicks in that second game. So, that yeah, that's where it is. So forget that. Uh, Knicks could still very easily fall prey to the Suns. I expect to see Lance Thomas play. Nice dosage of minutes. That's why he probably didn't get tonight. 
But yeah, so uh, look out for the Suns. I think they're slightly better than their record shows because they're playing with more heart. Um, yeah, I mean they're six and twenty-four. It's it's ugly, um, but they have some young pieces. Uh, I will be, I will be curious to see how Frank plays tomorrow, specifically because I feel like, um, you know, these players hear all the same shit that we hear, and I think you. Wasn't there a report that the Suns were one of the teams that were maybe interested in Frank, or am I imagining that? That's correct. Yeah. So Although it was then refuted by yes. their beat reporter, so <laughs> yeah. who knows what's up and what's down. Yeah, but I'll you know, I'll be curious to see if, uh, if that maybe uh, uh, spurs him or, or something to that effect. We'll, we'll see. Um, also, if there's one team out there who's a logical team to maybe give up more than they should for Emmanuel Moutier in a midseason trade – it's the Suns. So um, I'd like to – I'm curious to see how he does as well. All right, Jeremy, thank you for uh, doing this on a Sunday night. And uh, you will be back with us again for another one tomorrow. Uh, I, as much as the Suns may be playing better, I do not want to be sitting here 24 hours from now talking about a loss to the friggin' Suns. Agreed. <laughs> so could we maybe hope that we're doing this after a win tomorrow? Yeah, especially because the Knicks don't have to play Oladipo. <laughs> like a second time. I mean, yeah. he had 20, 26, 8, 7, and 5. He's so on seven, good. On 7-13 He is so he good. Really is. It's not even. It's not even fair. Um, and again, that's a guy that took a solid four years to become um, what he ended up becoming. Patience, Knicks fans. Patience. Uh, that's all we got for you. We'll be back with you tomorrow night after the Suns game. But thank you, as always, for giving us a listen. Uh, rate, subscribe. Um you know, the whole thing. Uh, we will talk to you soon and hope the rest of your, what's left of your weekend is good, but I uh, hope you have a good start to your week and we'll be with you soon. Giddy up.